Welcome back. Today's a really, really exciting episode because I have two of my family members here, one of which is my dad, which firstly, I have to say, we don't actually call him dad. We call him Papa. So I always feel weird. And I'm like, this is my dad because I don't call him that. And then I have my sister here, Ollie, who you guys will know because she did a whole episode with me. We did an episode on blind trust, which was so good. Um, So today we're going to just chit chat with my dad. And I got the idea because um, somebody was basically asking about like my family background, like what do my parents do? And I was like, why don't I just have my dad dad on the show and we'll just talk about all kinds of things because I think it's interesting and we have kind of a fun like family dynamic and story. Um, And so Ollie is also here and she's going to ask questions too. And yeah, I'm really, really excited about this. So thank you for tuning in. And uh, before we go any further, please, please make sure you rate the podcast on both Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Leave a written review if you have the time. I really appreciate it. Um, And yeah, let's freaking do it. So guys, say hello. Hello, hello. Well, Bella, I can't believe I made it to your show. I know. It's insane. So fun. You're... um. You're legit when you get to come on 100% BS. Absolutely. I'll put it on my resume now. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I have been interviewed by Bella Solanot. Yeah. This is a big honor. I'm honored. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm excited to do this because I feel like, I don't know, it's always interesting to like learn about people's parents and their family dynamic. And especially if like you're close with your family, then you can learn a lot about the person and like who they are now like through their childhood and through like what their parents think and all that um so i want to start by just giving you a chance to just like intro yourself and even if you want to go as far as like a miniature condensed life story of just talking about like where you're from your your childhood and how you ended up here in the u.s because i love your life story of where you started um so i would just let you let you start talking about who you are, what you do, and where you came from, and we'll go from there. Should I go first? Yeah. Or you, you want to go? <laughs> no, no. I well, I don't think I'm going to intro myself. Today. Yeah, we're going to let... This is cen- centered around Papa, around Sergio Solanot. Yeah. So we're going to let you intro, and then they can find well, out about all the other It's always challenging to condense, because, you know, at my age, you know, you yeah. have a lot there behind... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, why don't we start with but, your background of... Where are you from? Well, as um, we are all from Argentina in our family. Uh, mm-hmm. Mom is from uh, uh, the U.S., but she adopted Argentina mm-hmm. as her kind of a second country. So um, uh, I'm originally from Argentina. I uh, uh, come from a very humble origin, I would say. A family of immigrants that came from Europe, Spain, mostly Italy, and um, a family, you know, hard working class uh, family. And I grew up in in that kind of environment. Uh, my father was the first one to get a college degree, but in his early thirties. Uh, so it, it wasn't that he went to college right after high school. It took them took him several years. So that was kind of my my original. Uh, my origins, my days, uh, early days, you know, 
So I lived in in a family that believed in in um, education. Um, I grew up in a very humble home uh, with without many trips, vacations, or any any more than you know the basic everyday going to work for my father, going to school for me, and uh, dreaming about dreaming a lot. That was something that uh, my parents, I think. Uh, helped me do through the, through education and and um, for example I, I I I say this because this is something that they they strongly believed that when when uh, the education system in Argentina wasn't that great the public education system wasn't that great um, both my brother and I were sent to a private school and uh, obviously it was very expensive and at mm-hmm. some point uh, I think this the school tuition was 60% of uh, my father's uh, after-taxes income. Wow. <laughs> so that shows how they they really valued education. And um, I think that that was a great foundation, after all. Yeah. And then, and, and then you know, when you, you grow up in, in that environment, and but you, you have a chance to read, or a father who, who talks about... Um, uh, you know, projects and plans for life, and a mother who is uh, very supportive. You start a dream, and and one of our, my dreams was uh, going to the U.S. Wow! So from a young age, they your parents really made an effort to teach you and your brother, like just to think outside of what you have now, like what you had at the moment. I absolutely, I think that it was. Um, um, in a sense, we, we um, grew up looking uh, uh, into the future and um, doing things, learning new things, and um, we dreamed about traveling. I, to me, it was, was a dream to travel. Uh, it was a dream to come to the United States. And um, it was a dream that, you know, I remember... Uh, watching TV and watching programs about adventure, Jacques Cousteau, uh, <laughs> the scuba diving, and and um, and then over the years you start to do some of that. You know, um, I I remember um, loving the water, loving the ocean. I remember the, the day I I saw the ocean for the first time. I, I have a very vivid memory of that now. When was In, that? Uh, I was like eight. 10 years old, you yeah. know. I remember running, running, like uh, my parents said, well, the ocean is behind that dune. So I ran like crazy <laughs> all the way up to yeah. see the ocean. And um, I was a, a swimmer at the time, you know, and, and during the summer, so I loved water. And I developed a passion for water sports early on and swimming. And uh, then went to school. Uh, obviously, high school was uh, very, very formative years. Um, for, they were very formative years, and um, I always li- liked to learn a mm. lot and you know, study a lot. I was uh, um, a, a, a student by nature. Yeah. Uh, was there like uh, a lot of pressure from? It sounds like it, it came natural to you to want to excel in school. But was there like? a pressure from your parents to also perform well so that you could like kind of take the next steps of education and like realize your there, dreams? There was never pressure, absolutely. Huh? Uh, but I think it was more 
uh, excelling in school was more of a consequence of uh, a passion for learning. So if you like to learn, if you like to uh, understand, read, uh, if you if you want to uh, become better, you, as a consequence, you will excel. Mm. I mean, the same thing in life, you know. If yeah. you have a passion for something and you dedicate yourself, you're going to excel at that. And so at some point you become a good student simply because you have a passion and you're dedicated to, to doing it. And you have good teachers, good parents, a good environment. Yeah. And um, so um, those those years were uh, great years, and that's when you you dream about the future, and one thing leads to the next. You know, then you decide to study. Uh, you go to high school. You say, okay, what am I going to do? And, uh, and, and I decided to study engineering. Uh, industrial engineering. Why? <laughs> My father was an industrial engineer, and I loved uh, uh, sort of a technical things at the point at the time and I was um, kind of that kid who who loved the uh, technical magazines or uh, and and, and uh, that and also because the my personality at the time was already someone who believed in facts in in things that are very concrete and, yeah. and uh, very easy to explain or not easy to explain but they have a, a foundation in in science or or math or physics mm-hmm. and that led to study engineering what abuelo often talk about how much he loved his degree in industrial engineering and do you feel like that had also a role in you choosing that route? Well, it definitely had uh, a role uh, because he loved that. He loved what he did. And um, remember that those days, we didn't have that much access to information, to a lot of information. I mean, it was pretty simple, the choices, you know. If you graduated from high school, um, you, you would do medicine, engineering, Law, uh, architecture, um, maybe psychology, maybe, but that was kind of what it was in everyone's mind. Yeah. It wasn't a lot more to think about. And and True. and again, this this is Argentina. It's not mm-hmm. the U.S. with a very broad educational system. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but also you get influenced by by teachers or or other people that um, are part of your life at the time. You know, I I remember, even if my family was the, the, probably the largest influence, I had uh, teachers in high school that I remember today, uh, coach, swim coach, um, people who said things at some point that make you change and right. and uh, that you will not forget ever. You know, there there are teachers who said things in my life that I that definitely change who I am or, or push me or send me in a certain direction. Mm-hmm. Was it a common goal, like in your community, in your school to want to go to the U.S.? Like how did that, how did conversations and like visions of going to America fit in? Like, was that a common thing? How did you guys, how did you guys look at well, the that, U.S.? That, that's a very interesting question because the environment in which I grew up was anti-American. Oh, wow. Okay. It was uh Remember that I grew up in my uh, the days of my elementary school and when I was in elementary school or high school were days that 
of uh, very tumultuous times for Argentina. Well, Argentina had tumultuous times for the last, I don't know, uh, maybe 100 years or 90, 80 years. So those days, um, there was a, a, a significant anti-U.S. sentiment in the country. Um, so only a minority of people would love to uh, go to the U.S. or would look at the U.S., uh, with admiration, um, like I did. I think uh, this is uh, giving credit to my father again because he he was working for a U.S. corporation at the time. Mm. So you get to know the 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 U.S. Uh, mentality, philosophy of business in that case, particularly more than uh, other people who didn't have that that direct experience through their parents. Uh, but the, the sentiment against the U.S. was uh, very negative, and, and it's always been very negative in general. I think t- today, t- till today, it still is. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, there's those days were very difficult because there was um, uh, it was a time of um, uh, s- crisis, social, political mm. crisis. There were terrorism. There was a war. Uh, those were the, the 60s and 70s and uh, there there was a lot happening and um, a lot of um, what happened was uh, simply (laughs) blaming someone else you know for for the uh, ailments of the country and and the U.S. took the blame (laughs) you know like the imperialism and that kind of thing that kind of a uh, ridiculous concept that the yeah. U.S. is the is evil and is hurting the country, which you know it might have happened in some some conditions or some sp- very specific situations. I, I don't uh, know if that's uh, uh, something I, I would I wouldn't be able to say that it never happened, but yeah. for the most part, the country was uh, uh, had its own problems. You know, mm-hmm. can you give a little background about that like tumultuous? time in Argentina, I mean, it maybe has spanned your whole life, but at least what you remember vividly in terms of when things started to feel like they were dangerous or taking a turn, if you have any, I feel like, I mean, I know from previous stories, like times in your teenage years and in school when there was just a lot of corruption and like tumultuous you know, events going on around you. Is, I, th- I mean, I think that's kind of what you're speaking to in terms of then how people looked at the U.S. as like someone to blame. In, in different times, there's always been, you know, upheaval, you know, crisis in Argentina. And um, in, in the years when I was a teenager, uh, we had the Dirty War, um, which was... Uh, basically <laughs> interpreted interpreted in many, many different ways. But it was, uh, no matter what side you were uh, with uh, at the time, it was it was horrible. You know, people, there was almost like a civil war. And um, I, I grew up in those years. Uh, so I'm, I'm assuming that <laughs> that had an impact in me. You know, we, we grow up and you know, we get wired in a certain yeah. way. You know, our brains are... are our reactions or uh, consequences of uh, what happens in, uh, in our environment. And, uh, you know, maybe the, the, the subconscious mind was <laughs> impacted by the, yeah, but all of this, you know. Uh, you, you definitely leave 
uh, if you're fearful that your father is going to be killed because uh, by a terrorist organization because you he works for Coca-Cola, which is mm. as, uh, the the most emblematic uh, imperialist uh, um, corporation. Mm. Uh, I'm not saying that it is. I'm saying that like that's how it was perceived in all companies like Coca-Cola, like where my father worked, or other American companies were perceived as imperialists and there was a time when these terrorist groups were targeting executives at these companies wow. so um so anyway it was it was uh, scary times I, i remember being in bed at night in my bedroom and hearing uh gunshots uh in those difficult years yeah. um of the dirty war uh, so you grow up with that you you get used to that in a sense uh, right. i mean you don't like it but it has to have an impact in And how you yeah. see the world, mm. you know. Did that affect in your social life the way that you talked about certain? I mean, I imagine there was this level of secrecy or feeling like, like you said, you're in danger for what your views are, what your parents did, and all those things. Like, was that, did it impact your daily life in that way with people around you? Um, I, I mean, there, there were multiple impacts. You know, you, you become very low profile. You become uh, very careful who you yeah. talk to. Um, you become very careful to talk to strangers. You know, <laughs> when I sometimes I say, hey, don't talk to strangers, jokingly. Yeah. But I, I remember fearing, you know, conversations with a stranger sometimes because, you know, there's something behind you that is telling you, you know, your, your subconscious is telling you, yeah. hey, Watch out, you know, you don't yeah. know who this person is. And uh, and um, I've seen horrible things, like a, a, a kid in, in my school, uh, he was uh, 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 not, not exactly a classmate, he was a year younger, but his father got uh, assassinated in his uh, in the front of his house by the terrorist organization wow. at the time. And, and I remember the day getting up in the morning, hearing the news, and then... Obviously, the school was canceled or something like that, and drove my bike, and I don't know why I did that, but I, I went to his house, and the blood was still on the on the sidewalk, you know? Wow. So, you, you growing up with that environment, um, yeah, affects everything, right, you know? Right, of course. Um, affects how you go out, you know, how late you stay, especially those days, but... Uh, but that doesn't mean I had I didn't have a great childhood, you know. I I, I could I couldn't ask for better anyway. Mm. Um, I I loved my childhood and everything I was able to do over, through those years, and um, and you know you need to learn how to live in in that environment and make the most out of it. Uh, when when you guys were little, we were living in Argentina, and I was CEO of a of a company, uh, a public company. And I was uh, negotiating with the unions at the, at the time, with the union. And uh, <laughs> negotiations were pretty rough. And and as a consequence of that negotiations, as a consequence of a, a stance that I took, which was interpreted as very hard, you know, the, the union set up on fire the warehouse of one of our manufacturing plants. And he, they did it once, Um, they did it twice, and in between, I had uh, this is crazy, but that's how violence shows up in the yeah. system. Um, I had a car, a company car, 
uh, I was running the, the, the business and I was using a very simple car. I wasn't using a, a luxury car at the time. Right. And um, I <laughs> one day I lent the car to the VP of operations and his name was Julio. I said, Julio, he needed to go somewhere and he didn't have his car. I said, take my car. And so he takes my car and he calls me later and he said, you know, your car has a gunshot. So he got, he got um, shot at. I don't think they had the intention to kill mm-hmm. the person. I mean, they thought it was me driving the car, but it was oh. a, an intimidation tactic. Right. So that kind of thing happened. You know, that you you guys sense. were you guys were very little, so you didn't know about it, uh, or were almost about to be born mm-hmm. um, in those days. So yeah, that that shapes it. But that's kind of a story. Yeah. of a, a country that lives in that crisis and these kind of things happen. You know? Right. Yeah. So then and you have to leave anyway. Yeah. You, you have to keep going forward. You need to study. You need to learn. You need to live a, uh, your life. Yeah. It's so crazy. And it's like, I mean, then it, it kind of makes sense to me, at least, to then think about how the almost like potential of the country and its people is of course going to be stifled obviously because they're just actually living in fear for real reasons right not just things that are made up like there's it's difficult to have opportunity and to like flourish in life overall like past circumstance when the country is like in legitimate turmoil and you're like afraid for your life I'm I'm sure that's I mean then you decided to take us four kids to the U.S. At some point that was a decision, sort of a, 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 a an inflection point in in my life and in mom's life because we got married, we lived together in Argentina for nine years. You guys were born, and then we decided to come uh, to the U.S. And I think when you look at, uh, at the many decades in, in at that time, it was almost forty. Uh, and you you look back and you say, well, this this is happening. Um, it, it's kind of a constant. Mm. Maybe there's a better way. You know, when you have uh, a family and you have four kids, everything changes. You know, the perspective changes. Everything, the way you do things change. Yeah. And um, you say, okay, well, maybe it's it's good to take another uh, another path from here on. And. That was one of the reasons, uh, I would say the, the most significant reason is when you see that you're, if you can say, okay, I'll do this, I can I can fight through this mess, but when you have kids, you don't want to, you, you don't want them to go through what you have gone, you know, you, you want something better uh, for them. And that was the decision, you know, thinking that it would be better to to grow up in an environment that is more, uh, peaceful and less confrontational, less divisive, and um, you know uh, that was 20 years ago, and that's how we ended up uh, in the U.S. almost 20 years ago. Oh, yeah, it's really an amazing story. Like, I mean, yeah, I feel like taking into account the, I mean. Were you and mom intending on staying in Argentina? Like, was the intention to live there for most of our lives? Or did you already, before, you know, like, seeing that things weren't really changing in Argentina, 
was there an intention to take us to the U.S. or was were you planning to stay there for longer? Well, it, it wasn't not a, there was not a like a for, mathematical formula. Yeah. I was saying, okay, <laughs> we get married or, or, or uh, we get married, we move to Argentina, we have kids, and we move back. You know, that mm-hmm. wasn't like planned like that. Though I remember mom telling me, "Hey, uh, before we got married, she said something like, hey, you, you need to promise that our kids will go to high school in the U.S.'" You know, mm-hmm. mom told me that recently. Yes, we were so, talking about like dating, and I was asking her questions about, you know, the fact that she was moving to Argentina and marrying someone from a different country, and she said she had this like sort of breakdown moment where she made you promise that to her yeah and i i I don't think i said i promise because i usually don't like to say promise (laughs) uh because i I don't like that that kind of a Mm. word but i definitely uh was understanding of her uh desire Mm -hmm. and you know the fact that she moved to argentina was a significant thing You you know moving to another country to in this case to be with me uh, well, it was something I obviously never took lightly, and it yeah. was a, a pivotal moment in in uh, my life and our life together with mom. So, but it worked out that then <laughs> things happened a lot earlier than when you guys had to go to high school. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it was always kind of an understanding that yeah, we're going to be a, a, a international multi- multicultural family. Well, we need to make it happen that way. You know, if you stay in just in one place, then uh, that that becomes the dominant culture. And we both thought it was great to have a family that was international and multicultural, multilingual mm-hmm. uh, family. Yeah, that was actually one of the things, like reflecting back on my childhood, that I loved was how much like pride there was between me and all of my siblings. Like I, like I remember in middle school, every time it was like you had a new class and you had to introduce yourself. It was always like, my name's Bella and I'm from Argentina. (laughs) And like, I always talked about it. Like everyone who I know from my childhood knows that that's where I'm from. And even though like, I think as we've gotten older, the like percentage of which culture dominates has changed, obviously just via like, time spent and other factors but I loved that you as parents very much instilled in us like even though we moved to the U.S. at a young age that it was really important to remember the roots and to also remember like the values that come from that culture and it really I think set us up for having that like brain that sees two sides of things and understanding like we're here but we have this different background and like we are from a different place and we honor that like at home and there's things about that that will make you different from other people and things that will make you unite with other people over those commonalities and it was I think really important part of childhood especially growing up in a town that was pretty it was predominantly like what's the word other than it was a lot of white people but it was also just kind of like monotone in its culture and so I think that was at least less what diversity. I was exposed to. Yeah. Yes. Less, less diversity. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so that was, I think, really... I mean, we grew up in, in a very classic New England town. Yeah. With most of the people there being from close by. Yes. Yes, that too, that like a lot of people were born in the town and then like never left or just like didn't 
weren't exposed to the outside world, which is why then, you know, we grew up getting to go on a lot of trips and a lot of travel, which I think now it sounds like because in your childhood, that's something you dreamed of, that then getting to do that with your kids was, you know, a very like important staple of the childhood. And I'm curious, like you and mom, just in thinking of how much that became a really big part of our life. Like it's like the biggest, one of the biggest parts of my childhood memories is like all of the trips and travel that we got to do that defined the way that I looked at the world and my relationship with my siblings and all of that. Yeah. It, it, it it's exactly what we uh, are describing. And uh, it's, it's, it's not just the travel is what you do with the travel, you know, how adventure uh, adventures uh, you are with with the travels you do and how hands-on it's nicer to be involved in a certain activity uh, whether we sail or or we do a road trip or, or we go scuba diving or or windsurfing or you know activities that have more meaning than just enjoying the 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 pleasures of a nice resort yeah. mm. And uh, that is more formative, I think, and that's what we've uh, we've we've experienced. And you know, to be adventuresome doesn't mean that we you have to take too many crazy risks. We we take some <laughs> risks. <you know? laughs> we take some, some risks. Some some risks, you know. Um, I remember when we went uh, scuba diving with Andres in the caves. And um, in Mexico, right? in Mexico, yeah, oh that, was, that was that an, was an incredible moment because we were going through the briefing, and I'm sitting there with Andres, the instructor, and I'm starting to think, you know, should I do this with my son? You know, <laughs> you know, and I, I had seriously second thoughts and said, no, maybe I should. This, this is we should abort this, you know. Yeah. But I don't know what I said, and you know, something Andres perceived that I was kind of a worried, worried about it, and he said, "No, no, no way, we're doing this." <laughs> <laughs> no. So we did it, and uh, it was a phenomenal experience. But I give credit to Andres for for uh, that final push when I was on yeah. the on the edge of uh, backing out. Yeah, you know? how old was he at the time? That was a while ago. Probably like thirteen. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was like thirteen, fourteen. Wow. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I feel like there's been countless examples of things that we dive into that us kids are like, no, no, like we're going to do it. And yeah. the one that came to mind when you were just sharing that was the Bonaire passage. Because I, I so clearly remember on the way from Puerto Rico to Bonaire, like right in the middle of the passage, it was nighttime and the boat was shaking like crazy. And you said out loud, like, no, like <laughs> I brought all of my kids here. Like you said something like that of like, what am I doing bringing all my kids out here? Like, yeah. This is crazy. For, for background, for people who don't know what we're talking about, just some details of this trip. We um, sailed between Puerto Rico and Bonaire, which is a 400 mile stretch that goes like straight through the ocean. Like there's no stopping point in between. Like you're just the, the only... You're outside of the rescue zone. Yes, you're outside of the rescue zone in terms of, like... Coast Guard. Coast Guard. Like, I don't think a helicopter can come get you. Like, they'd have to send, like, a boat to you. Like, so 
it's 400 miles. It it took about 52 hours each way. This is just nonstop sailing. Um, So yeah, anyway, you can carry on, but like just, it was a trip where you're literally, it was, it was us four kids, Papa, Amici, our dog, who's since passed, he came with us. And then we had like a co-captain come to help with like technical sailing stuff and just, you know, for additional support. Our mom didn't. could try to sleep. Yeah. Yeah. But so. I I didn't didn't sleep. Yeah. But that's the thing is like we were. Like, it was a rough trip for some portions of it. And, I mean, I'm sure you had thoughts, like you said to Ollie, you're like, oh, my God, I'm in the middle of the ocean with my my children. children. (laughs) Well, I I definitely think it it was a phenomenal experience. But when we touched land back from the the second leg coming Mm -hmm. back, I, I think no one wanted to go back on a boat. You know, yeah. it was it was rough. Um, I remember Lorenzo k- kissing the the, the yeah. ground, you know, <laughs> getting off the boat and uh, going yeah. down and kissing the ground. And and you guys did incredibly well. But uh, me as a father, mm-hmm. I couldn't help but think, but thinking, well, man, this is this is kind of risky business. You know, yeah. you're here in 200 nautical miles in the, the furthermost point away from land. And as much as, uh, you know, we had the boat in good condition, we had the, the gear to, to you know, uh, do uh, survival gear in case something mm-hmm. went terribly wrong. Yeah. Uh, we had communications, phone, satellite phone, uh, uh, satellite messenger. Yeah. We had everything, but nothing um, will stop your mind from thinking at that yeah. point, you know, hey, we, we're here in the middle of nowhere. Right. Uh, I was looking at the radar and the, the closest uh, ship was like 100 miles oh from us, you know. <laughs> so if you have an issue and you need to call for um, for help, you know, it will take a, a little oh, bit of time. Yeah. To, yeah. To Plus, like, there were points where because you're so tired and not, sleeping properly properly like i'm sure you slept the least out of everyone i remember being able to sleep a little bit we took these we did shifts so it was like four hours on four hours off i did during the day did did we have an eight hour no it was constant it was okay okay six yeah and so during your you would get like six ish hours to sleep but of course over two days when you're only you're not you're not falling asleep right away and like the boat's moving a lot. So anyway, we got really tired and I remember like fully just being kind of a hallucinating state at night. <laughs> like me and oh, Papa yeah. and I were on watch and it was like dark out and we're like looking out on the horizon to watch for ships. And I remember like just starting to see things and being like, Is that a boat? Or I would like think that there was a huge like tsunami wave coming like i just couldn't see properly and then your mind is also just like going yeah, places yeah. and it's just i think your mind starts to play games and, on, on you and that's uh, the number one challenge to to deal with you know you need to to refocus and trust what you're doing and uh, and, in, and and enjoy it you know yeah, uh, yeah. i think now we look back to that those two legs of sailing as uh uh, a mix of things but it was but now the memories are very positive because yeah. even the suffering is, is something mm. that we learned a lot from yeah, right? in addition we enjoyed incredible things like being in the middle of uh, the ocean or the caribbean sea and seeing this phenomenal sky and see the stars 
go to beyond the horizon, the, the horizon mm -hmm. you know, because uh, you don't see that here. You know, you yeah. see, I, I remember the first time I, I saw that and I thought, what is it? How, you know, is, is that light a, a yeah. ship or what is it? And in, yeah. in fact, it was a star that it was right in the horizon line. That was incredible. Yeah, I do remember one of the biggest reflections in the months after was it was such a perfect life lesson of you're on the boat and there's no escaping like you have to be there and when you're suffering understanding that like there's really nothing you can do right now other than like figure out a way to deal with the suffering because you can't get off this boat you have 30 more hours left like it was one of those life lessons of if you have also like a finish line and a point that you're going toward, you can deal with a lot, right? Like, yes, you're stuck there, but there was also like, okay, 30 hours left, like 25 hours left, like, you know where you're going. And to apply that same thing with anything in life yeah. to say, oh, yeah. if I have literally my sails set and I'm like going somewhere, you can bear a lot of suffering to get there. Mm -hmm. And I remember like months later, just applying that to my own life and being like, like you can put up with so much and change also the range that you're willing to put up with if you have a big enough goal or something that's clear enough for you to do. I feel like also for the first leg, like the first time we were doing the passage, I definitely felt like, like I think like none of us really knew the extent of mm. what we were getting into, which is what I think made it easier to leave the dock the first time. Yeah. And that was something I remember when we we just left the dock in Puerto Rico and we were like doing a briefing while we had started getting underway. And you and Andres were talking about like safety at night. And Andres very clearly said that if you fall off at night, we will not find you like there is a very low chance that we find you. Yeah. And that was the moment for me where I was like, oh, shit, like, <laughs> we are doing this. And that's something that, like, when we decided to embark on the journey, like, I didn't focus on, like, okay, what are the actual logistics of this? Like, what does it look and feel like to be 200 miles out at sea at night? Mm. Um, and so I feel like it just made me think of that when you said, like, embarking on a journey and knowing the end point and like almost like if you're focusing too much on what the thick of it is going to look like, that can deter you from starting. Mm. And I think that's, yeah, that's just interesting. Yeah. Well, I think there were a few uh, learnings from, from that. You know, we, one of it, but life is like that. You cannot quit. You are, you start the journey And what are you going to do? Turn around and come back because you feel like, oh, shoot, this is, uh, this is scary. Yeah. Uh, this is, no, you confront the situation and you do the best you can. And, and uh, you will most likely succeed in the mission. Mm. You know, you, and we did accomplish the mission. We went yeah. and we came back. <laughs> we survived. <laughs> <laughs> but, but the key is not to quit. We could yeah. have well said, turn oh, around. let's turn around. You know, yeah, and people do a lot of huge adventures and even more dangerous things. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I think this was, uh, yeah, as a, an activity with a certain degree of danger, but um, it was 
and risk, and but we manage that. And I think you guys did great because uh, everyone, all of you four, you know, were standing on their watches and, you know, there was some occasional motion sickness here and there, you know. Yeah. But for the most part, it was... Uh, it was great and and you guys did awesome so as a as an adventure and learning experience i i couldn't be happier about it yeah yeah i feel like sailing for us has been just like a foundational like a staple piece of developing who we are it's been really fo like legitimately formative and has taught me a lot like i even think about as siblings and like the reason why I've become such a good communicator and have like an interest in relationships, both like family, romantic, etc., is because of growing up sailing because you're on a, a boat and there's no escaping your siblings. Like you have to deal with anything that tight comes quarters. up. Like it's tight quarters. Like you, you sharing a room, like it really does teach you a lot about life and how to go through things and how to deal with, any like adversity that you're facing. And like, I think those lessons are valuable, whether you're getting it from like a hardship, like what you grew up, they're different ranges, but it's like nothing wrong with learning life lessons in a way that's also fun and expansive and is like joyful. I'd love to know slight pivot about you went to undergrad in Buenos Aires, right? And then you went to grad school here in Boston, literally down the road. Um, And I know, obviously, like your parents found education to be very important, and we grew up with the same value of education. But having gone to through the education system in Argentina and then experiencing it here on your own, and then via us kids going to college, um, I'd love to know more about your comparison of those and how they differ, and just your kind of view on the college system here versus Argentina, just generally um good, good question <laughs> i think that um in, in general the the educational system in argentina is more focused on academics you know if you study engineering well you you know i went through a six-year engineering program in which you there, there's every every class every course is uh It's kind of hardcore, you know. There's very few soft uh, courses that um, you develop skills that are kind of the soft skills, you know, which are very important. But it, at the time in Argentina and, and many other countries that have a similar educational system, um, the, you know, the emphasis on academics and what is pertinent or uh, only related to the, your major, that's what uh, the emphasis goes. And in the U.S., from what I've seen, it's more of a well-rounded uh, education. You know, don't, mm. you're, you can become an engineer, but you have a, a sort of a first year or a freshman or sophomore, you have a, a number of classes and courses that are very broad and they they are the same for anyone for any major so that's a big difference you know that that in the u.s is 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 broad uh more well-rounded less specific mm -hmm. um and so there's pros and cons to both um I, i i think i was lucky to be able to have both systems you know i came 
for my uh, MBA here. And I, it, it was uh, at the MBA level, it's even uh, also very specific, but you still have uh, classes that are, are, you know, not so business, you know. Um, uh, the content is not purely business. Um, so that's a, a big difference. I think there's also a big emphasis in the U.S. in or, or it's part, part of the culture is independence is a big thing. You know, mm-hmm. you, you turn 18 years old, you go to college, you become independent from or, or from the home. family, and you live uh, with a, a higher degree of independence. Maybe not financial, but that that is really strong in the culture. In in Argentina or, or countries like more Latin cultures, uh, that where we come from, or even in some countries in Europe, um, that's not necessarily the case. You know, you, you go to college and you still live at home, and you not necessarily need to feel like you need to be away from your family. You know, the the, the family unit is a lot maybe stronger. In general, because mm. uh, there's obviously cases, and you could be in the U.S. or any country in the world, and you have families that are very, very united. But um, in on average, you know, a, a family in Latin America is more uh, makes makes a higher priority mm. that the kids don't necessarily leave the house, leave the home uh, at the age of 18. Mm-hmm. Uh, so th- th- those are are big differences and. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, every system has pros and has cons. And I, I think, as I said, I was lucky to be able to, to, to do both. Uh, I think it, it is great to understand other, other ways of learning, not necessarily one way is the only way, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm curious, like, what was it like sending us kids to school here, like probably more specifically Andres, because he was the first one, when it was like, you know, sending him away at 18 and away from home and that being so different than what your undergraduate degree was like. Like, were there moments of resistance or like just sort of what was the experience like that, sending your kids through a system that, was so different than the one you went through? For me, uh, yeah, there was obviously areas of um, discomfort. Culturally, I, I wasn't ready to help my kid to leave at 18 and be living on, leave the house and, and be on his own. Um, it's a concept that I sort of uh, grew with after, as you say, after Andres went to went to college um, in his first semester, you get used to. Uh, I, I think that um, that's what I can say. You get used to, and then you understand that it's, 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 it's a good system as, as well. Mm-hmm. And it has uh, benefits, it has pros, and it has cons, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you guys, you all four of you are doing awesome. You're doing <laughs> great. So, you know, you see, it, it's, it's, it, it, you didn't go through the Argentine education system or or a more traditional one. Uh, mm-hmm. So you can always do great because uh, it comes from within, I guess. Mm, it's built into the genes. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, we have some fun Q&A from the audience that we can do a couple of those, and obviously we can spiral off of those. Um, 
Okay, so this is from, I'm going to say first names since I know you guys are listening and it's fun. So this is from Marisa. Um, Her question is, what's your advice for young people trying to figure out who they are and feeling like they're being themselves? Wow. Well, that's surprising that Marisa asks uh, such a good question. Yeah. Such a profound question, you know. I don't think there's a, there's a one answer to that, but I, I do think that um, thinking what you want to do and uh, thinking about who you are and understanding first um, what things make you happy and and uh, being truthful to yourself is, is the foundation, you know, if you, uh, and, and do, to do the things you love and um, for the right reasons, you know. Um, so visualizing where that will take you is also important. You know, if you say, well, I like technology or I'm, I'm, a, I'm a nerd that I like uh, uh, computers, you know, where will that take me? Is that, mm-hmm. is that going to be, uh, am, am I going to be happy, you know, doing that in the future? And so that introspection and that's always a challenge because, you know, when you, I don't know, when you're 18 and you need to make a decision to go to college, wow, that's a huge decision, yeah. you know, it's yeah. huge. It's a, it's a huge burden for uh, a person at that age. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- then the, the outcome depends on many factors, you know, what your family, your your different uh, influencers in your life, teachers, and and hopefully <laughs> the, uh, the whole thing will work out. And there's there's a, a trial and error process as well, and you don't have to get it right immediately the first time, and, and many people don't. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you keep trying, if you uh, be true, if you're truthful to yourself, and you do a lot of introspection, I think, and and you're honest with yourself about what you want, then you'll find the way. What I think it is risky is to follow a path dictated by someone else. Um, and um, uh, at, at the in the end, uh, hopefully, when you you know you, I, I go back to always education because education is what prepares you to make the right decisions, make the right choices. And uh, I don't think there's a there's a, a very concrete answer, but more than be be truthful and visualize what you want to do. You know, if you like certain things, you need to ask yourself, this is this this is what I'm doing today. Does this make me happy? I want to do that to achieve that or to be somewhere and use other people as role models um, because that helps visual, visualization. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, because sometimes there's a saying that says, be careful what you wish, be careful what you wish for because you might get it. Mm. So you're wishing for something and then you realize, oh, this is not what I really wanted, <laughs> you know? I don't like it that much. Yeah. Uh, so, it's it's a it's a process of iteration and discovery of mm. the of what is good for you. Mm. Who were some of your role models when you were growing up, or even now? Hmm. I, I I always remember growing up. Uh, obviously, my father was a role model. 
I remember teachers, coaches, I always remember my uh, math teacher. She was great, you know. Um, she said things to me that made me think a lot mm. and uh, made me decide, make, make, make the right choices. Um, the, I had a, um, my swim coach was great. Uh, he was this guy who was, uh, he had this very simple things that he would say, mm. but you learn a lot. Like he was saying, well, now you're swimming, just swim. Don't be thinking about something else. Because he was saying that most people don't focus on what they do because they, mm-hmm. they're always thinking about something else. Okay, well, I'm a, I'm a uh, waiter, but I really want to be the manager. Or I'm a, I, right. I'm a teacher, but I want to be the director of the school. And, you know, you're always thinking of, oh, it's good to have the goal, mm-hmm. but not to the point that you don't do your your job at the time. Yeah. So he, he was great. Very simple things that in, were very, I think, very true. Um, also, I remember a teacher, a professor in high school. He was, uh, uh, he's, uh, he was teaching something called civic education. You know, like, um, and those were the days of, again, the turmoil. And uh, at that time we had a, um, a military government. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, the military government meant safety, security. You know, we came out of this war and uh, all of a sudden now we, we, we're still at war, but I felt safer. I felt my family was safer. But this guy it was teaching, you know, the basics of democracy. And he was um, a left-leaning socialist uh, professor. Uh, but he had a phenomenal question when they made me think, and, and uh, we were debating. And um, at the time, I was in favor of the military government. Mm. And um, for that reason, you know, that I felt good about it. And I hadn't really, what I had known of democracy was uh, terrible up to the, that day. And, uh, but he said to me, uh, but how come you could not conceive living in a democracy or something like that. You know, how come you prefer the military to the democratic system? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was a question that it just, it was so incredible because I, I didn't need to hear the answer from him. Mm-hmm. Just the question made me realize that the approach, my approach was wrong. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, obviously it was the moment, the circumstances, but you cannot go against democracy. And um, anyway, things like that happen that now I could probably think of more, but th- those are things that um, came to my mind. And uh, so role models, um, I'm not someone to have, you know, like idols or things like that, but obviously mm-hmm. like uh, different people in, in, in my field and uh, where I've been for the last 20 years in technology, you know, someone like... Uh, Steve Jobs, obviously, it's, it's the yeah, obvious guy, totally. you know. <laughs> you know, is um, if you're going to aspire to create something, and well, try to create something at least a little bit of a fraction of what he did, yeah. it would be just incredible, you know. The guy was uh, was phenomenal, and, and someone who has an impact in the rest of the world, like he did, it's uh, just. Um, 
someone to 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 admire. Yeah. Going back to when you first started answering this question, I think it's really fun for Bella and I to hear your responses because as we dive into this like work of manifestation, a lot of what you describe of how to achieve your goals mm-hmm. is like the principles of manifestation, of visualizing where you want to be, like having the ideas of what it is you're working towards and like keeping that in mind and then also like being present and focusing on what you're doing here and now. Yeah. And so, yeah, I love that. Cause I remember when I was first telling you, this was back in like late January of 2021 and you were visiting LA and I was telling you, I was like, Oh, I'm starting to work with this coach. And she's a manifestation advisor. And I was like explaining what manifestation is and you were like, oh, yeah, like, that's what I, like that's what successful business people do. Like, I've been doing this my whole life. Like, that's what it is. And I was like, oh, my God, duh. Like, it's literally just this practice of, like, visualization, having role models and, like, believing that you can achieve it and, like, trying to, you know, embody who that person is. Like, it's just laying the groundwork for actualizing your goals and or realizing your goals. And it's it's cool, though, because... I love that now at least people I think have more access to that process because it's kind of becoming trendy, but it's kind of nice because at least for me, it it also brings in the aspect of like self-belief and even some spirituality, which is something I actually wanted to ask you more about. We have our crystals here. But to, to the point of uh, what you guys are talking about manifestation, let me interject there that it's it's uh, I'm fascinated by the way you you guys do it and you Lorenzo who has been doing uh, a great job you know mm-hmm. dealing with difficult times because of uh, COVID and everything that happened over the last two years and he couldn't start college and he managed that mm-hmm. in a way that is really impressive and you guys did the same thing and I feel like yes I I, I used to do that or we do it I do it as a as a practice but mm-hmm. I think you. you the way things have evolved uh, make this a lot more productive, a lot more accessible to a lot of people. I'll tell you, I read a book very, uh, in my 20s, and the book it tells you everything, the title. The title is Programming for Results. So you read the book. This is obviously for kind of an engineer, you know. You're going to program, uh, write a program for results. No, it was about visualization. Wow! It was uh, how to wow. visualize what you want to do and how you want to do it, and thinking of of you in that position. If you're, let's say, you're playing tennis, you know, you want to have a good drive. Uh, visualize it. Visualize it over and over and over, and. Um, and um, that's something that you can do with that presentation. I remember one day giving a presentation at my job as a CEO. I had all my slides spread out in the in my office and uh, on the floor because I didn't have room. And my secretary came in and and, and said, "What's going on? Uh, they're, they're waiting for you." And I was a couple of minutes later. I said, "I'm finish, finishing visualizing my presentation." So it's it's a it's an exercise that is phenomenal. It has yeah. phenomenal power. Um, at the time in the Stone Age, you know, we didn't <laughs> know it was called manifestation. You know, right, yeah. uh, it was just 
programming for results, you know, very, very uh, concrete, very rough. I think that that doesn't help spreading that mm. practice to more yeah. people uh, yeah. because um, the vast majority of people need like the soft skills are what yeah. make yeah. a difference. You yeah. Know? Well, uh, now, too, I think we're seeing the science behind it. Like there's people doing work to realize that there's actually something going on in the body and mind and even around us when we do this type of work like dr joe dispens is like one of the biggest guys who for years now has been studying things as simple as neuroplasticity and like the ability to make new neural connections in your mind so as simple as like visualizing yourself as doing something successfully whether it's like for the presentation or like i'll visualize how i want a podcast conversation to go but then even bigger than that like visualizing what i want my life to look like and even doing affirmations and all these things are actually creating new connections in your mind to show that then trickle out into what your beliefs are and what you think you're able to do. And then if you want to go even deeper, there's like the energetic aspect of it that people talk about, I think on a like a quantum level, whatever that means, is that when you do that, you're actually shifting energies and the things that are going on in your own body, which is going to affect everything around you. And so that's a really fascinating connection between, you know, from like a practical goal setting level, but then to say like, what's actually happening in your environment? How are you actually manipulating the world around you in a positive way by tapping into like the somewhat, you know, it can be elusive, but the energetic aspect of who you are as a person. And that for me has been the most fascinating thing is like, yes, you have the practical, like, let me write out my goals. Let me make a vision. Let me like you know, say affirmations and like think introspectively, but then it's like, there's actually something going on in your body and in the energy around you that's changing what your reality is. And that's fascinating. And I think is where like kind of the magic feeling comes in and it takes the work even deeper. Totally agree. Yeah. Which is a fascinating topic, you know, it really is. Yeah. The reason I, um, brought up the crystals, the crystals. So, it was more as a conversation energy. starter around you know like i think everyone has a different relationship to things like spirituality and religion and actually growing up i remember being i like chose to be like an atheist i was like there's nothing out there like it's all bullshit whatever and i remember feeling really um like apprehensive towards religion and I think for a while that closed me off to the possibility that there's like more out there and that there is something kind of like beautiful and expansive about spirituality and being open to the things that you can't explain. Um, and I'm just curious, like from your perspective, just your kind of view and, and relationship to that side of life. And as a kid, maybe like how, you know, being someone who was atheist or didn't identify with any religion or belief, if that's like changed at all and how you, what your relationship is to spirituality today. And crystals. And crystals. <laughs> Do you well, believe you in know, the crystals? You know, I, I'm an engineer. I'm always going to be an engineer. So yeah. I believe in the law of gravity. Mm. Now, Moving from that to the law of crystals or the power of crystals is a little bit of a stretch for me, you yeah. know. But obviously, I'm open-minded. I see very intelligent people that 
can uh, somehow articulate that there's power in these crystals, you know? So, um, I don't know. I, I have to say, maybe kryptonite is something that uh, I could believe in, you know? Mm -hmm. I grew up looking at uh, uh, Superman, watching Superman. So, yeah. You know, the original crystal was kryptonite. <laughs> was that, uh, you know? Uh, <laughs> so, I think that there's um, whatever works if for you to be to to if you tell me that uh, you your your the power of your mind and and, and you want to see it through a crystal or you want to articulate what you think with with uh, a crystal or with any other. Uh, form of yeah. a physical object. I just want to say for listeners, we're not that obsessed with crystals. We just came back from Sedona and Ollie and I bought our first crystals for the first time in our life. Yeah, so yeah. And the, this is the, the first time. I, so I, so I'm, I'm totally new at this because, you know, if you had asked me another question of something I have observed in you for uh, some time, I would be yes. better... Yeah, uh, prepared, the, but yes. now the, I'm, the, this is a total surprise. Yes, <laughs> the the crystals are just um, a fun way to to just honestly, we just brought We're them up because we thought it was that. funny. It's but fun. but I will say, I think Ollie and I are at a place where we, at least I'll speak for myself, I feel more and more like I'm having experiences that are showing me that there's just more out there and more things that there's more truth in the things that we can't explain mm -hmm. and that to not shut myself off from the possibility of things that people would say are like impossible or just like made up fantasies. And it's really hard to explain because these are things that you just experience, but I have found it really beneficial. Really it's what you're saying is if it helps you, then I think there's nothing wrong with it. And right. Being more open to, honestly, I just call it like the magic of life. Like that's really all it is. It's mm -hmm. just being open to, is there, you know, a universe or a source or a God or whatever you want to call it that is interacting with you and is helping you create your reality. And like, I think for a lot of people having something to believe in like that can completely change their life in a positive way. And just being open to like miracles and those things, I think is just a beautiful experience that just is fascinating. And I'm, you know, glad that at a young age, I'm getting exposed to these things because it just, you just, there's no reason to not, I think it's like saying, to stay open-minded and to, to just open consider like, we, we are not the owners of the truth. We can mm -hmm. only be in search of the truth. And, You know, there's people who get information channeled through them. You know, I'm not that of a firm believer in that. I'd probably say we're talking about a human... Uh, human design. A human design. And so I said, okay, what... So how does this person know uh, that if you were born on that day at the time, you were going to be this way? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm thinking in my mind, well... This person has collected a database of uh, millions of people and then, you know, goes and chooses and looks where something like that. Right, a, yeah. a more a more scientific uh, right. process uh, or engineered process of finding your your personality based mm -hmm. on the day you were born. 
But maybe there's people who get their information channeled. Yeah. <laughs> channeled. I don't know. I cannot. Uh, it's not my intuitive sense to get information like that. That right. someone can get it like that. But can't. Can't. I can't uh, rule it out. Right, you need right. to be open, open-minded. Open I think you need always to have a, a healthy degree of skepticism mm-hmm. until you ask the, ask the right questions, try to find out and, and see if it's, it's something that can be proven or is simply something that is a, is a mechanism right. to, to, program yourself is a mechanism to visualize is a mechanism that you use to feel better or mm. to to uh, uh, have a happier life you know I think also because I'm very much wired the same way as you of like sort of seeing it to believe it mm. um, and okay. with like everything that you just said I think at least like for me when I like Belle and I went on a, on a retreat in Sedona this weekend as background um, and had a workshop with a woman who's a human design specialist and seeing in the flesh this woman channel information about Bella and I and 10 other women in the room was a moment where I was feeling like I was witnessing magic take mm-hmm. place. And like I think that it's moments like that that are really helpful in like opening your eyes or just like being able to grasp something more easily because there was no other explanation to what happened in that room other than that this woman was literally channeling. channeling. Yeah, yeah. I was skeptical too. Like this past weekend was definitely so special because I had moments going into workshops or like rituals that we were doing and I was like, skeptical a little closed off and I was like "Mm, I don't know if this is going to be like as good as I say whatever and had two very specific workshops slash rituals that we were all very like just jaw dropped and like I don't even blame people who are skeptical of it because I'm like good you should be until you experience it but Mm -hmm. to stay open anyway and like yeah it was just so crazy like one of the specific things that happened with the human design woman is She was going around talking about everyone's um, life purpose as dictated by the human design. Like they have different names and different aspects for people's life purposes, like what should drive you kind of thing. And in mine, she she looked at each person and was doing it very personally. Like it wasn't like she was reading out like a Mm pre-written diagnosis. And when she looked at me, she was saying how it's going to be really important for you to incorporate art into the work you do whether that's like music song or dancing or writing or whatever and everyone in the room was just like so shook because for me in the past two years it's actually become really important to incorporate dance into what I do and that being like kind of a a vessel for expanding like my purpose and then with this other woman it was like about cycles of life and death and it was so specific and then we she ended up realizing that like she's experienced both births and deaths like in hours after they happened and that they were really moving for her. And yeah. And then we had this other night where this woman was literally channeling for each person, just like where they're at in their life. And it moved multiple people to tears. I started crying because it was like, she was literally like getting something from somewhere else and sending it straight to (laughs) me. And the accuracy was 
so insane. And also how, like, these separate workshops, separate people who do not know each other were channeling some of the same messages. Like, this woman that Bella brought up who, in her human design chart, was talking about the life-death cycle. In the next workshop, the other woman mentioned the same thing to this woman. And, like, again, just seeing that happen in multiple instances for multiple people was like something's going on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Something. Uh, I, I mean, I think that we all need to be open to that. And no matter who, every person has had some kind of experience like, Oh, I'm thinking about this person now that I haven't spoken in six months. And suddenly you get a text message yeah. or you get a phone call. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing, no one can deny that it happens. Yeah. Okay, I don't have the explanation. It's kind of funny. Yeah. Sometimes it is a coincidence. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's not a coincidence. And maybe there is something that we not um, uh, we don't explain with, with the, the knowledge we have mm-hmm. today. And uh, it could be explained maybe in the future. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Which is why we find ourselves here open to the With crystals. That the crystals may or may not be given. <laughs> yeah, you never know. Um, okay, we have another really funny question from Ian, cousin Ian. Remember Ian, right? Of course. Okay. Remember Ian. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Ian, we know who you are, okay? And, and your uncle knows who you are, okay? <laughs> okay, so Ian said, Sergio, tell me about knots. How many can you tie, and how did you acquire your knotledge? <laughs> oh, uh, serious I, question. I I don't know too many knots, but I know the basic knots for a sailor. So, how did I acquire them? Two ways, you know. I took some sailing courses. I remember the. the one uh, sailing instructor who taught me a couple of knots. Uh, um, one stayed with me very, very uh, firm, and I never forgot about it, the bow line. And, and then the, the trick is uh, you get an app on the phone. <laughs> you, know? mm. you, you get this app that is how to tie knots, and then you follow the, the instructions. And uh, that's... Uh, that's the secret, not no, no, no much Love of a it. secret. Didn't we also used to have a book on tying knots? I, I remember think we did, yeah, on the on, on the boat. Maybe it was, yeah, maybe it was originally well, on the boat. I remember looking through the knot tying book with I Lorenzo, bought, or I you bought, bought it for Lorenzo. Well, I I also bought a couple of uh, lines for practice for practicing. So when I would go to bed, I would practice the knots mm. sometimes. Uh, or when I'm, you know, waiting and doing something, I was yeah. able to practice, and, uh, and that is key. Mm. You don't just wait when you're on the boat until you, you practice. Yeah. That's too late. Yeah. Uh, then, then that's when you need the knot. Not knowledge, not knowledge is actually really important, especially these days. You need to be ready to run, you know? Yeah. Shit could hit the fan any day, <laughs> I and mean, you need to be able to, like, get in your car and survive in the and woods. And tie knots. And tie knots. Yeah. I've definitely, I feel like, in every moment that I like whip out a knot, people, <laughs> people are, are always shook. impressed. Yes. Even like in places where like 
knots are like what I'm thinking about is like camp where like knots are common here. Yeah, like people are tying <laughs> knots all the time. But then like you'll be with a group of sailors or like nautical people, nautical people, um, and still like not everyone can remember the knot. It's not it's not that easy. Yeah. It's Knots good to good. have. It's always good to have yeah. knot knowledge. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Ian, Why for the great, great Why question. Not? Um, so many puns. So many puns. Ollie, do you have any other fun questions for mm. our le- the legend that is yeah. here in the flesh? <laughs> I feel a lot of pressure with that. Hmm. Oh, I have another one if you don't. I have one, which it might be hard to think of on the spot. But what, like, does one moment come to mind where you feel like you experienced pure magic? Like, it it still, like, comes to mind randomly where you're like, I have no idea how that happened or what happened, but that was crazy. Like, an experience where you, you got basically full body chills of like what's going on hmm like something difficult to explain yeah mm-hmm. something unexplainable and if something doesn't come to mind right now part two um, I mean I, I don't think I have an event something that I, I saw a, a an image or something. Mm-hmm. I must say, w- one day I think I I, I saw a ghost. <gasps> okay, and I haven't uh, heard this. And uh, so it's kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay, but I was in bed in 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 uh, this was recently in, in New York in a friend's uh, house, Anselin and Remy, and I wake up and I see someone seated in the chair in front of me. And uh, that was unbelievable. And I still don't, you know, I, I just, I'm, I'm telling myself, you could not believe in that. But, mm-hmm. but I saw it, you know, like I woke up, I looked and I, it, it was more than, than just, uh, so I looked and I see this image there sitting and um, I have no explanation. For was that, it someone you know? like you could recognize? No, or? no, no. Like random It, it was person. a person. Were they like fully like materialized, like looking like a person, or like, was it like ghosty, like in the movies? It was ghosty, like in the movies. So that's kind of a. Wow. a, a did you wake up, mom, or you? Just, yes, yes, yeah. Did I she told look? her I just saw a ghost, you know. And but, mom believes in that. I don't. Yeah. You know? Even mom today, has, even mom today. has had lots of experiences like that. So I, I don't believe, but I, I, I have to say that that was that was very real. That shook but, you. So I don't know if that's the kind no, of uh, exactly thing you I were asking for. about. Yeah, I feel um, like talk of ghosts like scares me because of the movies and the way that mm-hmm. ghosts are portrayed. Like maybe I would call it a spirit today. Yeah, but I definitely like will see that type of stuff in dreams a lot. Like mm-hmm. figures that are like dark, and yeah, I'm yeah. not really sure what they are. But when you're when you're awake, when you're you know, awake. It's, yeah, you're, when you're, you're awake, consciously it's awake. Like, but anyway, the whole life is inexplicable if you think yeah. about it, what leads you to here, you know. Um, it's, it's, you think, okay, how did this happen, you know. Mm-hmm. I'm here with my 
two beautiful daughters having this intelligent conversation <laughs> with this uh, great questions and uh, I, and I couldn't be more proud of uh, both of you and our family. And you think, how did this happen? You know, can you explain it in in a summer in a, in a summarized manner? Yeah. Well, I don't know. I think that's magical. In the end, you know, yeah. in the yeah. end, it happens in in a, in a way that you can't say you controlled every variable here. You know. Mm. Yeah, I so, agree. Yeah, that's why I've become really fascinated with and enjoyed studying Buddhism and Zen Buddhism and just like spiritual texts because. A lot of things, like you said, feel inex inexplicable. And I have found that diving deeper into when people have written about it, like I'll read a lot of Alan Watts because he studied a lot of Eastern philosophy and books on actual Zen Buddhism, or there's a text called The Law of One that I think I've told you about, and that's actually a channeled message from an extraterrestrial like group, basically. But I always like those because... They have themes that people individually, without ever having read the texts, texts, will have started to realize. Like what you're saying, like, how did we end up here right now? Like, we don't really know, but we start to become attuned to these, like, inner truths that everybody can have access to when they remember them. Mm. And I think it's really beautiful because there is, it's like there are, there are fundamental truths. Like, for me studying Buddhism and being open to that has then confirmed things that I have felt in my body and in like my spirit when I spent time alone and when I started to be introspective that serve as like a little bit of like a tangible way to explain the inexplainable. And it's like so true that I think most people when they open themselves up to that possibility that they start to realize these like fundamental truths of like, how did we get here? Like how, how is it true that we are actually like infinite and eternal beings? Like how are we connected to everything around us? And it's inexplainable, but it's also fundamentally true. Like I feel like a lot of people just remember it like as if it was in there somewhere and it just like got kind of like muddied for a while. That's been my feeling of it. Mm. I, I agree. There, there's a lot of things that are beautiful and magical and, and ex difficult to explain, but they happen. Mm. And uh, I think uh, you guys are proof of that. <laughs> Aww, goals. Goals. This was really fun. This is so fun. Papa, do you uh, have I enjoyed any... it very much. Yeah, I'm glad. Do you have any... Any final thoughts, words, messages, <laughs> channeled messages? <laughs> Can you channel some of uh, your knowledge to, to me? You know? <laughs> I'm always learning, but I like to learn it fast. Mm. So would you we be able try. to channel something? You know? Yeah, I mean, actually, you know, when I write those, when I write the creative essays that I have on my Substack, I actually think that. For me, those are channeled messages sometimes because I don't know how else to explain it. Sometimes when I write those, I, I will go back and reread them and I don't remember having they written it. They come from it. the subconscious. And they, yeah, like either comes from the subconscious or I just like get out of my own way. But the things that I write are very like resonant and true and they're like, yeah, they're just very connected to like the spirit of consciousness and like these truths or whatever that we're mm. talking about so 
Yeah. If you want to read those, so I, I, I think I think Bella, you've done an amazing job with uh, with your BS media and making us all think and pause and and reflect about many topics. And um, if anything, you know, there's always more to learn um, and, and more to challenge ourselves. And I think uh, we're all thankful for what you're doing because Thanks. you've done an impressive job of uh, creating this uh, podcast series and uh, your your content production has been uh, really inspiring. As much as I have to confess, I can't keep up with yours <laughs> because it's so much. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, but I, I think I, I have this ability to spot the ones that yes. are... The ones that uh, are meant for you. That are meant we'll for me. Some, maybe that's what you're channeling. You know, mm. We're connected through some kind of yes. uh, uh, channels here. Mm. But yeah. thank you. Well, thank, thank you. you. It was I awesome. 100% agree. Thank you. What Papa said. You guys are very kind. I'm honored to have you two on here to break up fun. my solo rant. Yes, yes. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. Well... Thank you to the listeners. Hope you guys enjoyed. And um, if you have more questions or comments, you can email podcast at bellasolanot.com. And who knows? Maybe we'll do a round two. I'm sure we'll do this again. At some point, we have to do like more family members. I don't know if six people in one is too overwhelming. But I honestly think we should do it. I think we should. I think it'd be really fun. Let us know if you guys would be interested in that and if you want more family chit chats i thought it was fun yeah Mm -hmm. yeah so um cool well thanks again guys and um love you guys fans and fam (laughs) thanks papa thanks ollie thank you guys thank you that was awesome it was a blast it was a blast it was a blast yes all right squad is rolling out